Today's show is brought to you by Grammarly, an intelligent writing app. Download Grammarly's browser extension and create a free Grammarly account at www.getgrammarly.com. That's G-E-T-G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash holy backboard. All right, everybody, welcome to the 99th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man Sage chilling in Southern Oregon. And you know what? I spent, I think, three or four days with the family this this weekend. I'm so happy to be home. I hate, you know, I hate it in Southern Oregon, but I love it in my house. Like, I can do whatever I want. Like... Oh, it's so good to just, I, I mean, I love f- family, I guess, but being by <laughs> myself is so dope, man. You sound <laughs> like such a bachelor right now. <laughs> hey, I mean, ladies, if you want to try and fix me, go ahead. But, I, dude, that last day, like Christmas night, I was like just talking to my mom. Like, like I was physically shaking. I was like, I need to get the fuck away from you people. And uh, I so, love, I love my mom, but like I was like, you guys are guys are a lot. So what you're saying is you're an outside cat. Don't try to make you into an inside cat. No, I'm an indoor kitty. But you gotta like, what? Once I've had too much, I'll swat at you, and then we'll chill for a little while. That that that's more of me. But there is something about just coming home. It just being your place. Like you oh, get absolutely. To- your bed it's your couch it's your chocolate checks it's just a comforting feeling and you know i definitely love love my family as well but like it's you know two nights you know that was great but that's it's back to to normalcy you know it was nice to get back home on christmas probably around early afternoon and just you had the night so uh sage what was your favorite gift that you received this year so, this is actually kind of precious to me. Um, so, you know, my grandmother passed, uh, I think, a month ago? Two months ago? Yeah, something like that. So, are the male grandchildren a special uh, a gold ring that says fortune on it? So, I've been rocking it. And I've been rocking a gold pinky ring, which I think is the dopest shit I can possibly do with this. So uh, rest, in, rest in peace to grandma. Like that that's so cool. Like it's like ninety-eight percent gold. Like you know, grandma definitely loved her jewelry and stuff, and I'm gonna rock this and I have like some other jade pieces that I'll rock and you know, my mom's been like 
giving me more and more jewelry as I've gotten older, so I guess I probably should rock them since I have no desire to grow up. I might as well start rocking some gold chains and gold pinky rings and shit. So, uh, what was what was your uh, what was your favorite present? Uh, there were two. Olga got me a Home Alone coloring book with <laughs> watercolor pencils. So anybody who knows me knows that. I love Home Alone. It is my favorite movie of all time. There was a, an interview with Victor Oladipo probably a couple weeks ago, and they asked him, you know, what was he doing after the game? And he was like, you know, Home Alone, bro, like every night. And they asked him, what, uh, how do you decide whether you want to watch the first or second one? He's like, do I want to watch Kevin get the bad guys at home or in New York? And I was like, he is my spirit. Like, that is my dude now. My non-Blazer <laughs> dude is Victor Oladipo. Like, I feel like we get each other on that Home Alone level. So to get a the Home a co- Alone level of friendship is uh is is uh is something that's very special. I mean, we don't have that Home Alone that Home Alone type of chemistry at all. So, <laughs> but like the book has like every single scene. So it, the coloring book is legit. And then my mom got me one of those um the blazer starter jackets, but it, it was a red one. So I've never seen a red one before, but it has the vertical or the, the diagonal sash. It's got the blazers written in the, the original lowercase font. Uh, it is flames. I will be busting it out tomorrow because it is game day. Uh, and also I had to pick up for myself personally, the, the throwback Clyde Drexler red jersey. Uh, Mitchell Ness had a 40% off sale, free shipping. I could not resist to get <laughs> that jersey. That, that's Dustin's deal corner right there. Dustin's deal corner. But what makes me so kind of not upset, but just disappointed. You know, when, when, when you uh, were growing up, your parents said, you know, we're not mad at you, Dylan. We're just disappointed in you. That's how I feel about the N- Nike and Trailblazers. Really, Nike and <laughs> the NBA collabs because uh, all of the city jerseys were released today. And I saw that our guy Evan put together his top five and bottom five. And I was like, oh, that sounds you know kind of fun. I got a little bit of time to kill. Let's, let's go through the list. I was only able to find three jerseys that I thought were pretty dope. The Miami Heat with the Miami Vice mm-hmm. uh, joints. You got the Milwaukee Bucks who were killing the rebrand game. And there was one other one, and it might have not even been that fire if I if I can't remember it. But Sage, there were just there's a lot of meh, there's a lot of blah, and there's just a lot of awful. Um, I think Portland's falls into the uninspiring category. Mm. Um, I know Nike re- said that they were going to create a new city jersey every year for every team. That is pretty dope. That. I think that is extremely overkill, Aww. and I think it's only doing it for the almighty dollar they want to get those jersey revenue sales and obviously people are going to buy them but at the same time you can't tell me that you're going to have dedicated design resources to do 30 rebrands essentially every single year and a a great jersey the design behind it it takes a couple of years man like it doesn't just fall out of a sky you don't just go into you know microsoft paint and just whip up something no it doesn't work like that and so, from what I saw from the first round of of jerseys, I'm not holding my breath on, on the years to come. And also, no Christmas Day jersey for any team? Fuck out of here, Nike. I'm trying to find where you said on Twitter your third favorite was. I still think that Memphis jersey's clean. But, uh... It's clean. It's not... It wasn't, uh... 
it wasn't one of my favorites, but I under I appreciate at least the sentiment behind yeah, it. Oh, absolutely. That's why I think it's dope, man. You know, I, I don't really care about jerseys the way you do, so it's it's all. You said that like it's just like a, sh- a just a dagger right to my heart. I don't care about jerseys like the way you do. Ooh. Yeah, but the, uh, there, there's a marginal dif- there's a humongous difference Ooh. between there's a humongous difference between how I feel about jerseys and how you feel about jerseys. You know, you know, like the tech of what jersey making is. Ooh. In this. Philadelphia, that was the third. So yes, Phil- Philadelphia is another team that is killing the rebrand. Philadelphia and Milwaukee. Both extremely clean, extremely crisp, and um, certified uh, fly guy etiquette right there. For anybody who who cares, my bottom five, the Raptors with that North bullshit. No, you're not the North. Portland and Minnesota are geographically more North than your ass. So, awful. Uh, The Mavs, that looks like you ran out of just ideas and you're just like, let's just slap on uh, the first three letters of their name. Uh, The Suns. Los Suns, like, I thought we were over this. Like, I'm all for doing uh, Latino Heritage Night, but for you to be the only team that's used, that they're reusing a concept. You know what I mean? Like, everyone did the Los. There was the, the Los Spurs, you know, the Los Lakers, which was cool. But, like, for you to just to, to have that, it makes it seem like, again, you ran out of ideas. The Spurs with the camos, come on, man. That looks awful. So uh, enough venting about those jerseys, but I definitely have been underwhelmed by by Portland's. Uh, apparently, they'll be breaking them out um, in late January against the the Chicago Bulls. More importantly, though, Sage, the Blazers' performance on the court. I don't care what they wear. I've got my throwbacks. I'll go find some old school champion jerseys or Mitchell and Ness. I'll be fine in that department. But I want to see the team win some games. And there was some news that you texted me. Uh, before we were about to record, it was from NBCSports.com. I believe it was from uh, at Basketball Talk. And it was a report that the Blazers owner, Paul Allen, and his parent company, Vulcan Incorporated, are doing a little bit of digging as to why Portland is struggling this year. They want to know, is it the coaching staff or is it Neil Olshay and management? They've already, you know, pinged a couple of front office people, and I think they're putting together their inquiries because Paul Allen is one of five owners that is paying close to the luxury tax. And Portland, of those five teams, has significantly the worst record of the bunch. I believe the other five are the Washington Wizards, the Golden State Warriors, um, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I would have to look at, at the other one. But Portland has the worst record of of the five, and they are declining in wins year over year, which is also concerning. As money goes up, wins should not be decreasing, and Portland is right on line with what they've been really projecting for the past couple years. They're, They're a 500 basketball team, so if you're Paul Allen, you're thinking to yourself, why did we spend all this money when the product on the court hasn't improved? So, Sage, I want to kind of open this debate and let you have the first stab at it. Who's at fault? I mean, obviously, there's going to be a little bit of both, but give me the reason why you think Neil Olshay is at fault. Well, that 2015 offseason, he spent all that money retaining players, and it wasn't, it might not have been the, it was not the best move because we already traded Alan Crabb. Evan Turner really hasn't been effective. Mo Harkless for the f- first part of the year has been a non-factor. 
I mean, that's that was the year that we had all the money in the world, and we signed those dudes. And then this year, it was the most loaded draft in a decade plus, and we traded two picks for Zach Collins when I think the more prudent met, uh, tech was to uh, use all three as a lottery chip because that was the influx of talent that we that we had. I mean, for Terry Stotts, it's his stubbornness with uh, uh, rotations and I mean defense. The same defense. It's the same shit. It's always been the same shit. So that, what I think it is, it's both. Both are at fault for what it is. I mean, Neil put the food on the plate, and Terry, you know, couldn't cook it right. It's it it's it's both of their faults. Did you see that? Oh shit! I, I you know, I don't fuck with this Blazer media shit. What's that dude's name with a C? Calzano or whatever? John Canzano? John Canzano. He wrote some shit about uh, Paul Allen being the problem in Rip City. I, I... That's tough to say without knowing all of the facts. And I get... I would find it very hard that John Canzano has a source within the organization that's willing to go out on the line, even in in an anonymous fashion, and say, Paul Allen has done X, Y, and Z. Now, it could be completely true, but I just don't think anyone has that ear to the ground. They do not have that that plug. So, that's tough for me to, to delve into. I know that Paul Allen, over the course of his ownership here has made some some rash decisions. I, I think he got rid of Rick Adelman way too early. I think he made a mockery of the franchise by firing Kevin Pritchard on draft night, by firing Rich Cho one year after firing Kevin Pritchard on draft night, um, and just making the, the front office uh, a fucking circus. So he is not at fault, or, or excuse me, he does have some, some to blame in this, but he has also spent a fuck ton of money on this roster and and not just this roster but he did it back when we were the 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 12 deep blazers like he went out and just got player after player i mean we lost to the lakers in 2000 whether it was a good strategy or not history history in 2020 in hindsight says it wasn't but he went out and he's like okay let's get sean kemp let's get dale davis you know let's go out and bring him back in rod strickland like he has shown he's willing to pay for a winner so i think we have to give him some credit there because a lot of owners like uh robert sarver when he was with the suns would trade draft pick after draft pick after draft pick for money and outside of maybe one or two second round picks a couple years ago paul allen did the exact opposite he would go out and he would purchase first round draft picks so i think that speaks volumes when you have an owner that is that committed so i'm more leaning towards paul not being the problem i I think you had a point that you wanted to bring up, and then I'll, I'll kind of go into what I was going to discuss. I, I think Paul, the, the all right, we are in a very similar circumstance as New Orleans is, and you know I've been a New Orleans fan for a long time. Is there a chance that because Paul Allen owns the Seahawks and the Blazers, that he's spends too much time with the Seahawks during the first part of the season? And then kind of catches up to the Blazers once the Seattle season's done. Because from my experience with the Pelicans, that is an absolute fact. Like, the Pelicans don't get shit done except for, like, the last week that they could possibly get shit done. Because Benson's worried about his baby, the New Orleans Saints. So is there any way that that 
could be the same for the Blazers? I I, I just don't. Um, There have been multiple accounts and anecdotes well documented over the years that Paul Allen is as dialed in as an owner as there is in professional sports. He is in constant communication with with Terry Stotts and mostly Neil Olshay. Um, how can we improve the roster? You know, what are we doing here? What are we doing there? He is so active on, on draft night. And I know draft night is different from the NFL season. I mean, draft falls in June. NFL is still um, in their down season. But in general, he will be seen at a Seahawks game on Sunday afternoon and come to the Rose Garden for a Portland game on Sunday night. Like he is in the building. He is always in constant communication. So I don't think that... Um, Maybe fact hold holds too much weight in this specific scenario. I think it might just be um, a New Orleans Mr. Benson issue rather than God damn. Paul Allen. Yeah, and, and I mean, like again, like when I was a straight New Orleans fan, I would kill to have an owner like uh, Paul Allen. Just fuck kill it. Like you know, ha- being being a fan of a, a team that's penny pinching, like would. Would sell a first round pick to get under the cap to get like right at the cap, so they don't have to pay extra. The fact that this owner is willing to shell out big bucks for an attempt to improve your team is fucking dope. So I I don't think it's this problem, but it was something, some piece of content you know I saw as I was scrolling on Twitter that what's his face had this article and just wanted to see if you thought there was any, you know, anything real with that. Yeah, it, but back to Olshay versus Stotts, and I kind of hate that it's come to this. I think we're a more talented team. We're definitely underachieving, and obviously you can't just let go the entire team. There, there's got to be a fall guy. We, we've seen enough movies. We, we've seen enough TV shows. We've been in real-life situations. There's always a fall guy. Someone's got to take one for the team. Who's it going to be in this scenario? I'm I'm not sure. I know we did just give Neil O'Shea a, an extension, and um, I think we gave Terry Stotts one two, either last offseason or the offseason before that. But obviously, the tables have turned. Portland is 17 and 16 with um, a floundering home record. Losers of six straight in Portland right now, dangling onto the eighth and final seed in the Western Conference where no one really should be envious of them for having um, that spot. So just to dive in a bit more, I think everyone who listens to our show knows my thoughts on Terry Stotts. And I probably think the majority of Blazer fans or Blazer Twitter is going to give Neil Olshay the blame for this one. They say, you can't cook anything without the proper ingredients. I would agree for for the majority of things, but uh, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are two pretty rock solid ingredients to mm-hmm, build around. It mm-hmm. takes a lot to really fuck that up. I mean, we're talking spaghetti and meatballs. How do you fuck up spaghetti and meatballs? It's really hard to do. Um, then you look at Yusuf Nurkic. You look at Alfred Aminu. I mean, we have pieces. Yes, Ed Shea, Davis. He, Ed Davis. Olshay has thrown a couple of wrenches in there. We know that Myers Leonard contract is not good. Uh, we know that Alan Crabb wa- was a mistake. I mean, thankfully, we were able to kind of um, make do for that one by getting uh, rid of his deal to, to Brooklyn, where we just had to uh, stretch. Uh, who, Andrew, Nicholson. Had, Andrew, Andrew Nicholson. Andrew Nicholson. There you go. 
Um, we know I'll remember that Evan Bummy. I'll remember bummy ass players from Orlando. I got this. We know that Evan Turner was a terrible contract, but he does not have to play. And that's Terry Stotts playing him 30 plus minutes a night, letting him handle the ball, letting him go isolation. So I do think it takes two to tango. And you look at what Neil O'Shea has done during his tenure as, as a GM with the Trailblazers. And I'm not looking off of anything. This is going straight from the memory banks. He was there when we drafted Dame, Myers, and Will Barton. Where we picked, you probably could not have done a better draft realistically. Absolutely. Yes, Draymond Green was taken in the second round, but he was taken before we got Will Barton, and nobody had him as a first-round pick. And you look at all of the picks right after Myers. Really, somebody tweet me back, who should we have picked? The tail end of that draft was pretty terrible. He got I was a Jared Sellinger, man. He got one of the top two players in the draft along with Anthony Davis at, at six. So, okay, great. Next year, what do we do? We take CJ McCollum at 10. CJ McCollum, in my opinion, yes, he's having a down year, is the second best player from that draft behind the Greek Freak. So you're looking at picking middle to late lottery and you're getting a top two player from back-to-back drafts. I know That's- damn well that he was very high on your list and mine, actually. And we, we, we move along. How did we assemble that great team of 2014? Well, I mean, he got Robin Lopez for cap space. Mm-hmm. He added uh, Mo Williams at, at the last minute. He made some really smart signings. Darrell Wright was brought in, gave us a decent presence off the bench. That team was really the starting five. Um, a couple of mistakes. Obviously, the Aaron Aflalo deal in hindsight was bad. Uh, not only did we give up Will Barton, who is still thriving for Denver, but we gave up a first round pick, which turned out to be Malik Beasley. That hasn't came to bite us in the ass quite yet. Uh, what stings about that is we had CJ McCollum on our bench. So once Wes came down, or excuse me, that was even before Wes went down, we should have known that CJ was ready to play some backup minutes because he showed that he was ready in in that playoff series against Memphis. Um, Obviously, I think that 2016 offseason, if if Neil Olshay goes, that's going to be his downfall. But we always, always have to remember the factors at play. Portland had three restricted free agents, coming off of a surprising second-round mm-hmm. performance against the Golden State Warriors, and in a year when the salary cap spiked like it has never done it over the course of NBA history due to the television cable deal. Those are things that you just cannot hold against him. And I know he made bad decisions, and we look at that, but at the same time, I was clamoring for us to match anything on Alan Crabb. I thought the Mo Harkless deal was a fantastic— I still um, think it's somewhat fair. He's just even having at, a bad year, but like even at the time, I remember the podcast. None of us really wanted Myers back. But we were like, "Oh, only ten mil!" Like he was rumored to get fifteen million in in the preseason or at the beginning of the season. We thought this could be, you know, Myers is going to continue to play pretty well, and that'll be an easily movable trade chip. The only one that I had to kind of buy off on was Evan Turner. But even at that point, I was like, "Well, Whiteside didn't give us a meeting. That was my number one target," and. It was use it or lose it for the Blazers. When was the last time we have had max money? So if you just really replay all of those things, it it turns out to be a shitty fucking summer for Neil Walshay. But I just can't give him too much of that that blame. And also, I think reports were out there that Paul Allen was going to match anything on Allen Crab. So if if Paul Allen wants to blame Neil Walshay, then he's going to have to do it blindsided or with with a blind eye because. 
he played a big role in, in that signing as well. And then, you know, you kind of switch over to Terry Stotts. The defense has improved this year, but for the longest time, he would not do anything to deviate from the norm with his defensive strategy. Uh, we've, we've seen glimpses of that this year, especially with guys having career nights like, like Giannis when he torched us in Milwaukee. Bradley Beal put up the Portland Arena record 51 against us. We didn't send a double. So he still has his fault. He's has rotations ever since he got here. Back when we had Joel Freeland, Thomas Robinson, and Myers Leonard, he would start Joel for two games, then he wouldn't see the day, light of day for seven. Same thing with Truck, same thing with Myers. Those guys could never get into a rhythm, and that's what's so important for bench players, the seventh, eighth, ninth guys off of your off your bench. They need to have a rhythm. They need to know when they're going to come in at the time of the game. they got to mentally prepare themselves. That's how they're going to perform better. Not everyone is a just a badass designated hitter that can, you know, come come to the plate cold, cold as ice and, you know, hit one out of the park. Those guys just don't exist. And if they do manage nobly, um, they are at a very high value. And obviously, Ginobili is going to be a Hall of Famer. So I, I think both both are at fault. But, you know, if I'm going to give someone more of the blame, I, I think it's got to be Terry Stotts. Um, we were uh, – Two and one and two th- this week, Sage. We lost a- again, real quick. We lost real quick. We lost to the Spurs 91 93 at home. We lost to the Nuggets in a just a disgusting manner 102 85. And then we beat the Lakers for the 14th straight time 95 92. All right. So was Neil O'Shea, who was hired first, Terry or Neil? Because normally in that scenario, if the GM picks his guy, so it's been pretty successful to have, you know, the coach and GM not, not be like their each other's first pick for their job. So that that's pretty dope and it's lasted longer than a lot of those relationships do. It just has, happens to be de- deteriorating right now instead of, you know, in the off season which would have been nice, but like there has been some good from that relationship. It's just it might be time for one of them to move on, or maybe both. Yeah, so Neil was hired June 4th, 2012. Terry Stotts, two months later, August 7th, 2012. So by the time the season rolls around, they've both been in Portland for six years. Now here's what I'll have to say about, about the two. A lot of mediocrity. At the same time, two second-round playoff appearances in the Western Conference semifinals. I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but Portland had the longest drought in NBA history at the time, or not in history, but of all 30 teams, of advancing out of the first round. The last time was in the 2000 playoffs when we had beaten the Minnesota Timberwolves to advance against the Utah Jazz. So we obviously did it in that amazing series against the Rockets in 2014. And yes, we had in, we were aided by the injuries of Blake Griffin and Chris Paul, but we still did the Clippers. Yeah, we still is. did it in 2016 after losing LaMarcus Aldridge, Wesley Matthews, Robin Lopez, Nick Batum, Aaron Aflalo the year before. So we should reflect on that positively, in my opinion, because I was screaming at the rooftops at anyone who would listen. That's all I wanted was to see this team get out of the first round mm-hmm. and give them credit. They did that. They succeeded now, in that. Now I think the challenge becomes how do you go to that next level? How do you become more competitive in that second round series? We haven't forced a sixth game in a second round series since 2000. So we still haven't been competitive in in the second round. And 
how do we move? Obviously, the Warriors have have the the conference and the league on lockdown, but going into the season, there it could have been a countless teams that could challenge Golden State to face off in the conference finals, and Portland was one of those teams. Obviously, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, those deals don't go Portland's way for better or worse. Uh, the Blazers really did not improve outside of the draft and and internally, so that's a lot based upon of the contracts that, that were handed out. But I, I think a lot of Rip City is starting to get a little anxious and feel like we're stuck. And to be fair, I, I completely agree. Like, we had that second round high, but we haven't seen the elevation. Like, and frankly, we've seen a decline. Like, there's no way I would bet the Blazers would get out of the first round um, if you told me to take a bet today. I would just would not touch that bet with a 39 and a half foot. I was, I was, I was fired up, Sage. I want to see this team fucking win. So and do you think that Terry Stotts is our version of uh, Mark Jackson and then the next hire could potentially take what Terry's done and elevate it to that next level? That's a very good question. I don't know if I would go that far because while I think Dame and CJ are comparable to Steph and Clay, I just don't think we have a Draymond Green right mm. now. We just we don't have that. However, if you look at it on the other hand, do I think a guy like you know Popovich, Carlisle could get more out of Nurkic, could probably play better rotations, probably put Chief at three, utilize some of our good fucking power forwards? Yeah, I think it would be a lot better team. So... Do I think we would go from, you know, one and done to, you know, NBA finals? No, that that's not going to happen. But we, I think we would definitely be an improved team with a better coach. At the same time, those coaches don't grow on trees. And, and when you get them, you got to hold them for, for dear life. So I'm realistic in that manner. Shout out to the know, Memphis, Memphis Grizzlies. I, I do know with what we have, it's not working. And I think fans want to see some change. Uh, Sage, I just feel like we are, if you were to pull fans of all 30 teams and say who's in the worst predicament for the next five years, we might get some responses. And I would find it hard to blame them or tell them that they're wrong because it feels like we are just muddling in mediocrity. I don't think we'd be the worst. I think we're just 15th. I think we have talent. I think. We need someone to utilize that talent correctly, and I don't think it's Terry Stotts to do it. Maybe it's Editor Mazina. Maybe it's... Actually, I would love him on our staff. Whatever. No one wants to hear me talk about the assistant coaches I fawn for. But uh, I'll, I might make a list at the if he gets fired. But what I want to talk to you about, Sage... And this is a sensitive subject for me because I really like the guy. But CJ McCollum has been pretty bad this year. Fuck. Oh, man. Did you finally see that Lakers game? So, no. I was at my, <laughs> was at my in-laws for, for Christmas on the 23rd. Um, getting updates from you and my mom. They didn't replay the game like they normally do, so I didn't get to watch a replay of the game until the the day after, but I was a, a few rum and eggnogs in, and I fell asleep during the fourth quarter. But looking at his numbers from, from the week that was, he shot 5 of 22 against the Spurs, 
beast. Seven of eighteen against the Nuggets. That was just- and seven of twenty-three <laughs> against the Los Angeles Lakers. The former, the the latter two games without Damian Lillard, and this has just been a, a trend that I've kind of been watching. His scoring is down by almost two and a half points per game. He was at twenty-three last year. He's at twenty point seven. His field goal percentage was at 48 last year. It's at 44 this year. Uh, three points, still strong. He's He was at 41%, which is still amazing. However, I just feel like he's... Is he pressing? He, he looks like he's pressing, and I know the numbers don't deviate too much from this year to last, but the shot selection, I feel, has been a little forced. Absolutely. Uh, elongated in the sense of too many dribbles. Yeah, he's pounding the rock way too much at the high, high post, bro. Like, and I, seven I, dribbles I, and then a lay-in isn't good offense, and that's a, that's what we saw in the fourth quarter of that Lakers game when Mo Harkless was playing really well. Uh, Zach Collins beat out Nurk for, like, damn near all the fourth quarter, and fucking Shabazz was playing really well. It was just CJ doing the iso ball at the top of the key, dribbles seven times and then gets stuffed at the basket and it was a lot of it Doug. i mean like seven for 23 could you imagine what he could do if he was approached it better like he's got all the shots he could possibly want with dame out and he didn't utilize them smart he just went at the hole like tyreek evans does when tyreek's and bad you mentioned shabazz and for a guy who's i think in his third or fourth year uh backup player he goes 6 of 10 for 14 points against San Antonio, 6 of 15, 14 points against Denver, 8 of 18, 21 points against the Lakers, very clutch against the the Lakers as well. Those numbers aren't going to jump off the page and you're going to proclaim Shabazz to be the savior of the franchise, but you would expect CJ to outperform Shabazz when Damian Lillard is on the pine resting a hamstring injury. Um, Baz played really well in two games, I thought. We saw CJ especially in that 15-16 season when Damian went down, I think, for a seven or eight game stretch and CJ took the fuck over. There was a game in Utah where he was playing point. He just got to the cup where he wanted. I, I don't know where that CJ went. I feel like he's... I don't know. Does he, is he, is there too, is he pressing is the only way I can say it, but I don't know how you're pressing 30 games, 30 what? 33 games into the season. I I, I just think his shot selection has been trash, bro. Like, when he's like, when it's like a makeable shot, he does it. But like, he'll take some off the wall bullshit ass shots and people will like be happy for him for being aggressive, Doug. Like that next man up mentality in professional sports is whack. Like, yeah, we're gonna have to play. We're just gonna have to be more aggressive with our shot. Well, Shabazz Napier for the first quarter of that Denver game was fucking aggressive with his shot. And went one for fucking five. Sometimes so, that aggressiveness doesn't isn't always the best. That stretch I was talking about, I think it started in Sacramento two years ago to the day. Thirty five points. 11 boards, 9 assists, 4 steals, and a victory. Okay, follows that up three nights later against Denver, 29 points. 
and he's shooting 14 of 28 the night before, 12 of 29 in that Denver game. He shoots 50%, 13 of 26 against Utah, 32 points, 7 boards, 6 assists, and then at Denver again, another victory, 10 of 17, 25 points, 7 assists. When's the he last time doing, he had seven assists in a game? He was doing that primarily at the point guard position. Remember, back then, we didn't really have a backup point guard. I think Brian Roberts might have been the backup point guard. Shout out to guard, him. Or it was Tim Frazier. So, we did not have a, a, the caliber of a Shabazz Napier. But I, this is where I tend to blame Terry Stotts a little bit. Why don't you, you – I think everyone in the building knows that CJ is having an off year. Why aren't they going back to this tape? And looking at what he did, because the skill set hasn't fallen off. He is still probably better than he was two years ago. Why not put him in similar situations? Shabazz can play off the ball just as good as he can on the ball. Mm. Let CJ take control of that offense, especially if Dame's out, and let him go to work. No more of this Evan Turner bullshit trying to initiate the offense. If you can't play off the ball, get the fuck onto the bench. Like, that's how I feel. Because there's only three guys that I want handling the basketball. Dame, CJ, and Baz. Everyone else, no. It, it's. I think CJ just needs to chill this Christmas, and you know, I, I think this this break for him is gonna do him some good. At least I hope. I mean, I, I hope so because we need both mm-hmm. Dame and CJ to be on to be good. Yep. I mean, we have. I mean. The, the word of the podcast is high variance. We have too many high variance players. You need your rocks to be solid. You, you need to be those bookends that you can just depend on for 22, 25 points a night. Take care of the basketball. Make free throws. Make everyone better. Make the defense pay attention to you. And we got I two think, of them. And I, I think that we just haven't had consistencies from, from the two of them together. Dame's obviously had the better season. But there's very few rare occurrences where they both are on. And when they are, I mean, that's when we're tough to beat. Mm-hmm. But going into the season, we all thought it was going to be a big three, Dame, CJ, and Nurk. <sighs> we talk about CJ being a little bit disappointing. I think Yusuf Nurkic has been severely yeah, disappointing. Yeah, immensely disappointing. And I remember, I was, I was the ringleader of this. If Nurkic is healthy, nobody's fucking with the Blazers, Warriors, out of the conversation. I was drinking that Kool-Aid. Hard body. I was just sipping on that syrup like I was three sick mafia. I mean, I was loving what I saw out of Nurk. I was buying into everything about him being 35 pounds lighter. He's going to be a lighter beast. He's going to be a quicker beast. He's going to be more agile. Maybe she even shoot some threes. He is going to dominate like he did. Sage, it just hasn't happened. And I know this wasn't in the set of games that, that we discussed, but... Um, I was traveling in Seattle probably two weeks ago. We were playing the Orlando Magic. I was following on my phone. Well, last night, I finally was able to catch up and and watch that game. Sage, I know we have seen this from Nurkic all season long, but just to really focus and hone in on it, and I wasn't even attempting to do that at once. It just kind of caught my attention. Nurkic has no touch (laughs) around the basket. He gets into the lane and just... I don't even know a word to describe the action that gets the ball from his hand, his fingertips to the basket. He just kind of throws it up there with with no rhyme or reason. There's there's no touch at at all. And I think that's – I mean, we see some shots go in. You're like, how the fuck did that go in? I think they just blind luck. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, he has some moves where you're just like, yes, Nurk, do that. Like a couple drop steps and he's got the, you know, the baby layup off the glass. He's got a couple of baby hooks. But sometimes when he feels contact, he just kind of turns into the defender and just throws it over his head. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just clearly watch this, these next couple of games, you know, especially uh, against Joel Embiid and the Sixers. But um, the Chicago Bulls have Robin Lopez. And I think we're missing a lot from our big fella. Mm-hmm. We we simply need more out of him. And yes, I, I know if you look at the numbers, 14 and a half points, seven and a half boards, um, one block is it, pretty Fine. dang good. Pretty dang good for what a, a 23, 24 year old center, but a $3 million you, player. You also have to look at the shooting percentages. He's shooting 46% from the field. A big man, a seven foot player should never shoot under 50%. They are too tall, too close to the rim. They get too many easy looks. That should not happen. Oh, before you got on your uh, eggnog and henny, eggnog and rum, whatever, did you notice that Nurk was shooting some middies and fucking bricking them? His he needs sh- to get his big ass in the fucking paint. Well, he needs to be able to make that shot. Like, that is a makeable shot. And if you watch him, he doesn't have the same muscle memory as a regular shooter. It feels like he's just kind of throwing it up there. Kind of like, you know, when you go to, you know, a bar or, you know, a Dave and Buster's or whatever, uh, Chuck E. Cheese, play a Papa shot. You're kind of just like throwing it up there as fast as like no two um, rotations are the same. Watch Nurk shoot the ball. It comes off. It looks just different every single time. And you never know what's going to happen. Like, is he going to short arm it? Is he going to throw it off the the back rim? He's become the new Alfaruk Aminu when he shoots the basketball. And you know, I don't mean to to to, to bag on Nurk. Um, I, I love what he can be, but his antics, I think, are running a little thin with some of Rip City. He's yeah, goddamn right. I mean, didn't you see Nila uh, change her ship from? Uh- Nurk's girl to uh, GM GM Neil Olshay. Hey, Neil yeah. Olshay. I, mean, <laughs> I I I saw that. I mean, yo, when people like that are kind of donezo with with you, you kind of it's kind of it's kind of nervous for you, bro. Because that Portland was Nurk's town for for a hot summer, but I don't know, man. His level of play has dropped pretty fucking enormously i i kind of feel more comfortable with zach collins to be completely honest now like in that lakers game dude fucking said Derek, you could take a seat on the bench and i got this and he was hitting him with some dope passes playing good defense like if he's not fallon he's been more productive than nurk and that's yo if we're gonna give someone 25 million dollars you can't be beat out by some nineteen-year-old fucking kid with some funny hair. You bet, like yo, that, that that's kind of scary. I guess my biggest qualm with Nurk is the inconsistencies. I mean, you look at these last two games: two of eleven shooting against the Lakers when they don't have no, a fucking center. Yeah, no they do Bogus. not have a fucking center. It was Andrew Bogut. Like, Andrew is he scared? Bog- is he scared of Andrew Bogut? What's going to happen when you play Boogie Cousins in the playoffs, man? Are you going to get scared of Boogie? 4-10 against a team that he usually bodies, and he loves going up against Jokic. Jokic owned him. 
Jokic owned him that game, and there was no rhyme or reason for it because Nurk has the size advantage. He was four of ten there. But then you look at him, and he goes nine of twelve against the the Timberwolves. Twenty point seven boards, uh, fifteen points, six. But boards he, he was the Spurs. he was attacking so hard yeah. in that first quarter, and then we kind of went away from him. Like, but can we talk about one rebound against the Denver Never Nuggets? People gave Lamarcus Aldridge shit all the time about not being a double digit rebounder, but. Nurk isn't doing the job on the boards. He has had only one double-digit rebounding effort that was at Orlando since in December. In December, one double-digit rebounding performance. Yes, he's been inactive for three games, but we are looking at a beast. He calls himself the Bosnian beast, and he he can be. We we don't have a guy like Robin Lopez who is. I mean, he's not he's not taking um two bodies out so our power forwards can go get those rebounds. Like, he's not doing what Robin mm. Lopez did for LaMarcus. So, I don't know how much of that is not having a, a legit, like, big man coach. I, I don't know if Terry's not holding him accountable. I, I don't know what's going on because usually in contract years, you see the exact opposite. The Marvin Williams Biz- effect. We saw Bismack Biombo get busy when Jonas Val- when Jonas Valanciunas got, got hurt a couple of years ago against uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he just won them a couple of games by himself. Then he's regressed to the mean. I mean, that's what we all expected. But Nurk, in a contract year, I have been severely disappointed, and it's frustrating because he was that kind of breath of fresh air. He was like that shot of adrenaline, that rip seed he needed, that we thought, okay, you know, this season, you know, he got hurt, but when he gets healthy, man, we're, we're going to be something. And it's been the exact opposite. We've been worse than we were last year. And we've been relatively healthy. So I guess my question to you, Sage, is what what do the Blazers do? Do you trade him at the deadline? Because you don't want to go into restricted free agency knowing that someone might put a big number on there, force, forcing you to play your hand. You know, Portland's done that to plenty of teams. They've done it to yeah, Utah with Paul Millsap. They've done it to um, Thunder with OKC Enos Cantor. With Enos Cantor. And then teams have done it to them. Alan Crabb, um, to name a name. So you're always playing, you know, Russian roulette when it comes to restricted free agency. So my question, would you move Nurkic? (sighs) Of course you'd move him, but it has to be. I would want to know the packages we get for him, but yeah, I'd move him. Like if, if we can get the, the Nets pick, sure, you can have him, Cleveland. Have fun with them. I everybody's tradable, you know what I'm saying? So well, if Dame, someone Dame's, not- Dame's not tradable. I I I can't try and date Dame for anything. Dame Dame is Portland. I don't care if it makes us a better team. I want to win with Damian Lillard as the, the face of the franchise. Um, I don't know if that's possible, but Dame has done more for this city than really many many stars have. What if uh, he's what if uh, Golden State's uh, GM got drunk and offered you KD, Steph, and Clay? I don't I mean, want to win with those. That. I, I mean, don't want to win with those dudes. Fuck that. I do not. Th- See, Sage, that wouldn't be a championship. That'd be like, oh, you know, I turned the sliders down on 2K and I won on rookie mode. Everyone knows it was fake. Like, everyone knows that when the Warriors win, it's, it's bullshit. They didn't hey, need I, KD. I, I would like to point out to everybody giving me shit about talking about 2K too much. He referenced it first. <laughs> Goddamn right. No, I would not put it on record. 
I would not trade Damian Lillard for anybody in the NBA. I don't care regardless of talent. That dude is loyal to Portland. I think that's the least we could do to him is be loyal to him. Okay. Well, everybody but Dame is tradable then in your and the, world. The only time I would trade Dame is if we are clearly going nowhere and I can tell he's pretty visibly frustrated and I would, you know, say, Dame, what are some teams you'd like to go to? I want to see you win while you're in your prime. Mm. You deserve to win. Like we did with Clyde Drexler after we had those runs. It was clear it wasn't going to happen. We shipped him off to Houston for a first round pick at Otis Thorpe. Basically pennies, which helped them win a title. I would do that for Dame, but otherwise he's staying in, in the red, white, and black. Um, but yeah, so- I mean Nurk is Nurk is totally tradable. I wouldn't depend. I mean, like I don't want to take on salary, but like I I would trade him. If but I- you also have to think you might be taking on salary, but what is Nurk's future contract going to be? So you, you're twenty five take- million plus probably per year. Shit, I'm just trying no, to... No, no. How much do you think he's... What is the maximum that he could get that since he's only I mean, been in the league? I, I'm uh, not a salary years. cap... I, I don't know, Sage. I'm not a salary cap guru. I just know it's, it's a lot, lot, of, lot of zeros. So, we, you look, what, what Mason Plumley got? $14 million? Is that what he got? Shit, we gotta look up. I mean, you, you gotta figure Nurk's good for 18, at least. I mean, are we good with having Evan Turner, Nurk? I mean, Ed Davis is a free agent. I mean, Shabazz Napier is a restricted free agent. Pat Connaughton is a restricted free agent. Are we going to go through the same cycle again as we did in 2016 where we're just with paying less, guys? With less, like, bankroll to work with. Well, they're your own I, guys. Technically, you can go over the cap for them. So you have the same bankroll to work with. I wouldn't do it. I, again, I would like to know what we trade them for, but, like, I... I have no problem saying peace out to Nurk. Yeah, I wouldn't just give him away. Yeah, but exactly. But if we can get like a good thing back, sure, peace. And Thanks yeah, for Nurk fever. I think it's Portland in a tough position because they, they do need to build for the future, but you also owe a little bit to Dame and to CJ to to an extent. Both of those guys have been kind of the, the faces of the franchise during this turnover like, they want to win, and, and rightfully so. So I think my biggest problem with what Neil O'Shea, and I think Paul Allen probably pay, plays the biggest role in this, is a true direction of the franchise. Like, we discussed this at draft day. Where are we going, Sage? What, what are we doing? Like, the Zach Collins pick is fine. I, I said at the time that I thought it was a bust in my head, but my heart said, you know, or opposite my in my heart, but my head said to trust Neil Olshay, so he's looking pretty good now. But he's 19, he's still a few years away. But there was a couple of uh, r- direct impact rookies, like Donovan Mitchell, ready to go. So are, but And we also tried to trade for, for Melo and Paul George, which signals to me they're trying to win, but the draft, you know, kind of gave us that other feeling. So it's tough to determine... What the direction of this franchise is? I know everyone wants to say we want to win. I mean, but what does that mean? How are you going to get yeah, there? Yeah, what to, what level of winningness too? Yeah, what's the strategy behind the method? I I just feel like Portland is we're kind of go kind of driving down a road aimlessly with no direction in sight. Like we're mm-hmm. just on on a one way, and we don't really know where we're going to go. We don't really care if we run out of gas. We don't care if a uh, you know if car breaks down. Like we're just we're just going, but we yeah, don't like, have. 
the the, the off season seems like they're covering their bases on both. They're willing to make that move to win, but they also are thinking about the future. But if they're thinking about the future, they probably should play their young rookies. So it's like they're trying to play both sides, but they're playing it kind of backwards. I'll agree with that. So I don't know. Back to the question. I don't know if I would move Nurk. It, it would be hard because he still is what if 23. They offer, what if the Cavs offered the the Nets pick? I would personally, because I think Portland needs to probably take a step back. Yes, we have a really young roster, but our our main guys are older than than the mean average of, of, of our team. Like, you know, you got Alfred Caminu. Ed Davis, even Evan Turner, Dame, CJ, those guys get a lot of minutes. Those guys are older than 23, 24 years of age, and they, they've got um, they've got some winning to do. They want to win games, but Neil Olshea, to his credit, knows that Portland is not going to advance this team through free agency. The draft is first and foremost. So I think, you know, if that option came, came about, I, w- I would make that move, but it, it's got to be... It's got to be the right move. I'm yeah, not it has just to be gonna, beneficial for us. It can't yeah, be I'm just, not going to give up Nurk for nothing. Like just because we're upset with him now and disappointed in, and you know how how he's played, he, uh, there's a part of me that thinks Nurk's going to just flip the switch and he's going to be a beast again. Which and I think that has a semi-realistic chance of happening just with the way he plays. My only fear is that that switch gets flipped again once he gets paid. And now we're stuck with another big contract that we're not able to move. And I think that really hampers what we're able to do in terms of the trade market, in terms of obviously having any sort of salary cap. So it's a really tough question, but I think we'll know more as we get closer to that February trade deadline. Portland is still the fourth best road team in the entire NBA at 10 and 6, so we have to give them credit there for being able to find a way to win on the road. I mean, if Sage, if they would just win at home, and I'm not talking about dominating at home. They are 7 and 10 at home. If they were just 12 and 5, I don't think that's asking for too much. We'd be right up there for the third seed in the Western Conference and everyone would be talking about, "Ooh, Neil Walshay executive of the year. Ooh, Terry Stotts coach of the year." Ooh, I think maybe there's a Shabazz Napier might be in there for six men of the year. Dame's definitely going to make the the all-star team. You know, we probably got a couple of um, MIP candidates. Everyone would be singing our praises if we would just have five, uh, excuse me, a five-win difference at home. Five home games. I mean, I, I know that's crazy when you think of it like that, but that's the margin of mm-hmm. error that, in, in, today's, like, in today's NBA. You can't lose games you're supposed to win. I mean, you just can't because sitting here at 17 and 16, we're looking at it like the world's about to end for, for Rip City. But have had we been 21 and 11, we're like, ooh, the Blazers, they, they might have this other level. Let's look at acquiring more players and, and see if we can beat the Rockets, see if we can beat the Warriors. Like, we're really starting to believe. But right now, we feel like we're stuck. And that's just a five-game difference. That's why every game matters. Mm-hmm. And Zage, that's why we were so upset and hard on this team early on when we were dropping games to the Sacramento Kings and the Brooklyn Nut, uh, the Brooklyn Nets. And like with with Blake coming back and Gobert getting healthier, like there's gonna be more competition. And they didn't fall off as much as we hoped when they were out. So it's like. Those lot those five home games 
are super fucking important, and we didn't capitalize when we needed to. So, ugh. It, it it it's frustrating because just those five extra wins against beatable teams, like with Anthony Davis out that second time, we all assumed that we were just going to step on their throats, and they didn't. Like all of those games, especially to Western Conference teams, are going to Wizards without John Wall. Yeah, I mean, like especially losses to the West, like the Kings. We're going to look back at March or April and be like. Fuck, we should have beat that team. Because it's all about the, the Raptors without Ibaka and Valanchunas at home. We put up 85 points. Unacceptable. Like, the, the, the last second loss to Clippers, Memphis, the Clippers, Utah. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And Portland just... I, I feel like if they're going to turn around, it has to be now. Because... We have a winnable stretch of one, two, three, six games before I think the road trip of, of hell takes place. So we got six games, and then during the middle part of January, we go at OKC, at Houston, at New Orleans, at Minnesota. That is no easy task. That's not fun. And like we said, that that's only four games. An 0-4 trip can... So a 4-0 road trip versus 0-4, you know, obviously 4-0 is not likely, but just a four-game difference can set the can change the course of your season. And that's why every game matters. And Sage, let's get into this week's uh slate of games right after a message from our wonderful sponsors. For you, the listeners of the Holy Backboard Podcast, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's writing app finds and corrects hundreds of complex writing errors, so you don't have to. Copy and paste any English text into Grammarly's online text editor, or install Grammarly's free browser extension for... And I've had problems expressing myself through writing a lot, so I'm excited to use Grammarly. To download Grammarly for free, go to getgrammarly.com slash holy backboard that's getgrammarly.com g-e-t-g-r-a-m-m-a-r-l-y.com slash holy backboard all right everybody welcome back to the holy backboard podcast dustin and sage here about to dive into this week's slate of games. It is the last few games of 2017 as we go into uh, the new year. Hopefully 2018 treats the Trailblazers a little bit more kind than 2017 did. Up first on TNT is the Philadelphia 76ers. Portland has had five days off since beating the Lakers in Los Angeles for the 14th straight time. As you all know, Philadelphia handed Portland uh, a big fat L Back on November 22nd in Philadelphia, 101-81. to It was the one and only loss on that five-game trip. And Sage, Portland had absolutely, positively, no answer for Ben Simmons that game. I know Simmons has had his struggles recently, but we have nobody who can really guard him. I mean, that was when Al Farouk was out. Thankfully, Chief is back. 
will we see Chief on Simmons? Because Simmons had his way. He had 16 points, 9 assists, 8 rebounds, and really had everything just humming for the Sixers. They were getting any look that they wanted. So, I mean, for the last few games, the Sixers have been playing pretty shitty. Like, they are on a slump. So, it might be the perfect time for us to end our series with them just because of how they've been playing in the past. But, I mean, Ben Simmons is always going to be a problem. If fucking Embiid plays, he's a problem. But with how the, the, the team has played, and if Dame's back, obviously. Dame says he's back. Hopefully, because without him, I don't think we're beating many good teams. Just, uh... But you look at the the Philadelphia 76ers, I think they have more talent than their 15 and 18 record suggests. They are about a 500 team on the road. They're 8-9. However, they are just 2-8 and eight in their last 10. They did get a big win on uh, Christmas Day against uh, the New York Knicks. But aside from Simmons, Embiid had 28, like you mentioned. What was kind of scary about that 20-point defeat is their shooters didn't shoot. Mm -hmm. Robert Covington, 3 of 11. J.J. Redick, 4 of 10. Dario Saric, 3 of 10. Uh, Jared Bayless, 0 of 3. What killed us was obviously Simmons and Embiid, but T.J. McConnell, who said 13 13 points, 7 assists in in that game. Sage, what didn't is he the get one... traded though for uh, TJ McConnell? Didn't he get traded for Booker? Or was no. it, oh, was it the other white guy, Nick Stauskas? Yeah, Stauskas. Oh. McConnell actually plays. <laughs> hey man, sorry, sorry to all the white people I confused. But Sage, what is the one thing that gives Portland problems? There's so many things. The uh, one thing though, every team we play that handles us, what do they have? A superstar that dominates? Nope. nope. Length. Oh. Length kills us. Suffocates us. Watch Milwaukee when they play us. Watch Philadelphia when they play us. They have guys with arms and legs for days. And that's Philly exactly... Has a lot of those. Aside from J.J. Redick, which I think Portland is going to have to exploit the hell out of, they have dudes that can just come in and sh- shrink half of the basketball court. For Portland... Knowing that, how do you get around that? We're not a, a really long team. We're actually probably more on the shorter side, especially with, with our backcourt. How do you counter that, Sage? How do you get your guys good looks? Because, I mean, obviously 81 points, um, that's not going to cut it. I think it's be. I think it's utilizing your skills and being more fundamentally sound offensively than their length. Uh, I mean, length can defend a lot of things, but if you run a good offense and be creative with it, which I know Terry Stotts can do, you can you can take advantage of their length and their athleticism with just good old-fashioned basketball. I think there needs to be a lot of ball movement, a lot of player movement. If you make them react and that and take advantage of their reaction on defense, you can you can uh, make up for the lack of size. Which is why I think it's going to be. I think Pat Connaughton will have a nice night. He is our best player without the basketball. He's in his cutting. Hands. He's doing all that. Yeah, he's he's great. 
But Maurice Harkless saw a reemergence in his game against the Lakers. 22 points, 6 boards, 9 of 16 from the field, including 2 two of 3 from downtown. Probably was our player of the game by far, along with Shabazz Napier. Is that a one-time deal yeah, for Mo? Yeah, that, that's the thing. I don't know if it's going to be a consistent thing. Or is he just going to, when Dame comes back and the rotation shrinks, is he just going to chill on the bench again? Because, like, he played so well he took over uh, Evan Turner's spot. But on a normal game, is Terry going to arrive with Mo Harkless? That's going to be the question. Because I can see a world where he had a nice game but then falls back to the DMP guy or he, you know, retakes his spot as a small forward of the team and maybe we get, get some wins. But I, I that that's a huge question mark. What's going to happen with him and his r- role? So I think if you're watching this game, Portland will have a chance to defeat the 76ers if they do a couple of things. If they're making one pass and shooting the basketball, we're going to be in for a long night. Or no passes in the, and shooting. You want to see a lot of ball movement, a lot of assists. I think Portland definitely has to have more assists than Philly. They're going to have to do something else that they don't really thrive on either. And that is fast break points. Especially for a team that has been five days without a game. They should be fresh. They're playing at home. They should be just chomping at the bit to give their fans something to cheer about. They need to get out and run. That's one way you um, kind of can uh, defute length is by getting out and running, causing turnovers on your own on the defensive end. And then last but not least, you're just going to have to want it more. This is a Philadelphia team that's young. They're 2-8 and eight in their last 10, like we mentioned. We got to just outscrap them. I think they outscrapped us with guys like TJ McConnell um, last, last month and Philly. We need our guys like Ed Davis just to get in there and just get Get their hands dirty, which he's been doing. But we've got to win every loose ball. We have to make those winning plays. I don't know how many times we've said this, H, but we have to go back to the 2016 Blazer basketball where we just played with a big fucking chip on our shoulder and nobody wasn't going to tell us anything different. Shit, I had a really good point that's gone. Um, Whatever. Who who is your X Factor Sage? Oh shit. So is Pat yours? Yeah, I'll I'll stick with Pat for the ball movement player movement. I'm gonna go a combo of Zach Collins and Ed Davis. Do you think that's enough to get us a victory? With how the Philadelphia 76ers have been playing? Yeah. If Dame and CJ are consistent and the bigs, you know, battle and Fight? So you, you you're saying a lot of ifs. I need to see yes, no, win. Are we I, winning I, I, or not? Yes. I'm not confident about this prediction, but yeah, we'll win. I I just see Philadelphia as a team that we just do not match up well against. I need to see it before I believe it with these trailblazers at home. I think we take another one on the chin before heading out um on the road. And is it a quick three game trip, but Two of the three are are pretty winnable. You've got the Atlanta Hawks, the Chicago Bulls, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, Three games and four nights makes it difficult, especially over the New Year's holiday. Portland got a a really beneficial schedule over the the Christmas holiday, not having to play on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, or the day after Christmas. Unfortunately for this, we have to play 
uh, the day before New Year's. We have to play on New Year's. We have to play the day after New Year's. So you kind of got screwed on, on that one there. But that's how the cookie crumbled up. But let's talk about the Hawks first, Sage. They probably have the weirdest roster mm-hmm. in the entire NBA. I remember last last spring, I was down in Southern Oregon with my guy Ian for, from work, and we were kind of playing a game of you oh, know, how shit. many players how many players All could right. you name from a roster? And this was last year. And you were able to do it for almost every team but Atlanta. And I think it's the same scenario this year. They have a bunch of who's who. Okay. I mean, they have the they have the worst record in the entire NBA. Nine and twenty five. Okay, but, I'm gonna try and name as many as I can without any internet. You got the roster pulled up? Hold on. Okay. Your boy's got a lot of tabs open right now. I know, right? <laughs> okay. Hold on, there are one, two, 16 players listed on ESPN's roster. Okay, Dennis Schroeder. Over, 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 under, on can you get 10? I'm taking the under. Okay, Dennis Schroeder. Kent yep. Bazemore. Hold on, yep, he's there. Torian Prince. Yep. Uh, John Collins. Yep. Shit. Ersan Ilyasova. That's five. Okay, it's either Trevor... Kavanaugh or Trent Kavanaugh? I don't know his first nope. name. It's, He's white. it's neither. He's it's, a white man. That's that's it's, neither. Nope. Fuck. Nope. I'm okay. not giving it to you. Oh, you're a dick. Um, Rodney Magruder. Nope. Fuck. No, it's shit. <laughs> I was coming in strong with five of uh, Marco Bellinelli. That's six. Dwayne Dedman, who's hurt. That's seven. Fuck. Uh. Missing a couple gimmies. Shit, am I? Mm hmm. All right. Three. Fuck. Two. Uh, uh, one. Uh, uh, seven out of ten? Fuck. Six. You got six. Shit. Seven. No, you got seven. You're right. You got uh-huh. seven of the 16. Uh, it was Tyler Kavanaugh. Damn not it! Not Trent. <laughs> I knew it was a T, though. The, he... the, two, the two that I thought were giveaways, Tyler Dorsey, because he was from the University of Oregon, oh, got drafted I know. in the second one. <laughs> I don't know. You live in Southern Oregon. You better sure as hell pay attention to Oregon Ducks basketball. I so barely pay attention to football. And Mike Muscala, he's actually been there for like four years. I was trying to think of the white rapper, <laughs> but I didn't so, think you would take that as the, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, that is a terrible fucking roster. So if you ever want to feel bad about your team, go look at the Hawks roster. Um, give, give it a peek. And they got Budenholzer. He's just fucking dying out there. I would, I would do some dirty shit for to have Budenholzer as their coach. So Portland. I think this is a must victory. I don't care if they're at home. You looked at that roster. I can safely say there's not one player on that roster that should be able to take over an NBA basketball game. I always thought that Dennis Schroeder, because of how awful that team is, would put up Russell Westbrook's stats just because of who the fuck else is going to score. But he's been like mid-tier point guard level. Yeah, I think Portland... One, they're a good road team, and they have traditionally played well in the first game 
of of road trips this year. I mean, obviously beating Phoenix by 48 points to kick off that uh, three-game stand. You've got the Memphis victory uh, beating them down in uh, the Grindhouse, 192 to start that five-game trip. And even the Warriors, we only lost by seven uh, to the defending champs, and that was still a, a three-win trip. So I think Portland wins this game as long as they show up mm, and don't. they have on the road. They have on the road this year. So I, I don't fear this game at all. Mm. I, I think they. I think this is one where you just – you don't turn over the basketball. You make them work on, on defense and you don't give them any hope. You, you go up by double digits and that's the worst team in the NBA with nine wins. They're not going to fight back. However, as we've seen over the course of any NBA basketball season, you give a shitty team – any glimmer of hope, they're going to think, ooh, we got a chance tonight. This is our one win. Yeah, they got the nothing month. to lose, right? Win for, win from the, for the shitty Atlanta crowd. I mean, this is going to be the New Year's Eve Eve in Atlanta. Those boys ain't going to want to play. Like, they're going to want to go. They're going to want to go to all the clubs and shit. Yeah, and Portland's got to get on the plane and go to, to Chicago. So, I think Portland, if they just handle biz. And I think this is a Dame game. I think Dame is going to get – Dame will get the boys right. I don't care what happens against Philly. Dame will get the boys right. I think we, we bounce back. Keep boosting that road record. Uh, what do you say? I think we <laughs> – if we lose, this next podcast is going to be real shitty for our 100th. My God. Uh, it, it's going to be a win. We, we, just, we have so much more talent. And Dame isn't going to fuck around. The game that scares me the most on this trip is the Chicago the Bulls. The Robin Lopez revenge game? The Chicago Bulls, their record's not going to stand out to you. They're just 12-22. and 22. However, they're 8-8 eight and eight at home, and they are 8-2 and two in their last 10. And that Jimmy Butler trade's not looking so bad right now, now that Chris Dunn is playing like Yeah, he's playing really he well. Would. Yeah. Chris Dunn is out there getting busy. And this is a team that it makes or breaks the week because you beat the Bulls. You're probably looking at at worst, at worst, the 500 week. If you lose to them, you might go one and three, oh, and four. Trying to think or look at this shit. So obviously Chris Dunn's a starting point guard. And then I know Justin Holiday actually cemented himself as the the two but there's a guy that i really like and he's a small forward that's really athletic again pronunciation's gonna suck but david nuamba he was on the lakers last year he's been really really good in uh certain certain points he's super athletic he might be tough for us to spot to stop but right now uh, then our guy denzel valentine's a starting small forward and then your boo who I thought would be trash is actually pretty damn good. In I told you he wouldn't be trash, Sage. His feet are slow, and no, he gets fucking buckets. He's got such a quick release. So Dirk's feet are slow too. Kevin McHale's feet were slow too. Different game right there. And then Rolo, don't matter. And then Rolo's matter, always Sage. that consistent. They have some NBA players. They're not total. They're not Atlanta trash. They're like no, they're not. They got pro players, at least a few of them, so they're not, we shouldn't, like, look past them like we did against Philadelphia a few years ago. They got some talent, but we got more and better players. They're hot, though. 
And that, that's yeah, what scares that, me. That, uh, once um, Nikolai Mirotic came back, they've been they've been streaking. And Bobby Portis, so that they've been able to play after the after that punch. Like they've been able to kind of put How that can, aside. Yo, can you could you work with someone who fucking fucked you up so bad you had to go to the hospital? And well, we're one one we we don't know what was said, what what led up to that. So. I, I I may have, but but if you had if you have beef with someone, yes, okay, let's just say beef. If, if you had, had beef with someone that heavy to where it is, no, absolutely not. Could you I, work I with like, them? It's it, no, it's like either him or me. Fuck no. Uh-huh. It's weird. They like I saw them high five in a game. Like they've been. It's weird. That's a weird scenario in Chicago, bro. But I, I just don't see how they can stop. Shit. I wasn't going to say CJ, but CJ has filled me with a bunch of confidence that he can take advantage. I still think CJ will fuck up Justin Holiday, So, uh, that's my X factor. I think it's got to be the boards. Robin Lopez is the king of taking two players out while his guards and other uh, fellow bigs just gobble up the board. So, I think Portland is going to have to win this game it might not be a pretty shooting night um i think cj had an awful shooting night there last year but we squeaked out a victory uh if i remember correctly but we have to win this game on the boards we we got to dominate the glass our podcast is holding backboard the backboard is where this game will be won in the paint on the offensive glass second chance points all of those hustle stats if portland does that they'll win the game it's on the road. I, I'm rolling with the Blazers on the road. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be the toughest game of the trip. But gut feeling says Blazers get it done because that's the most Blazers thing to do is to play like shit at home and just kick ass on the road. <laughs> yeah, I'm going one as well. Uh, last game of the trip is the Cleveland Cavaliers, the best team in the Eastern Conference. And Sage... There have been years when you play the Cavaliers and you can just crush them in the regular season and it doesn't really matter. And there can be other times where they come and Kevin Love lights you up for a career high in the <laughs> first, first quarter. quarter. God damn that. I don't know how we like our we do not fuck with defending the pick and pop we, with bigs that can shoot. We just do not fucks with it. That's always going to be an issue when Kevin Love's involved. And LeBron is just fucking... Will Isaiah Thomas be back for this game? I don't game? know. I was going to ask you that. I mean, a lot will depend on... I mean, obviously, it might be better if Isaiah Thomas plays... Yeah, because they have to develop that continuity and chemistry. But again, I think you're exactly right. It's going to come down to who guards Kevin Love and LeBron James. And can Portland, one limit their fast break because LeBron is brutal in the open court. He's brutal in every facet of the game, though. Can they keep him off the line? I know Mm -hmm. the big storyline around Christmas is LeBron got fouled three times, and he's going to the line less than I think he has since his rookie season. So obviously you know the league's going to start cooking up some makeup calls, which could be valid and and could be, you know, hold hold some weight, but you don't want to play the Cavaliers the next game after that, after that Warriors game. Mm. So you you just don't know if it could be a week of LeBron where he's getting a lot of whistles. Um, Do we have a big that can move with Kevin Love? I think it would be really fun to watch Zach Zach Collins and Noah Vonley 
use their athleticism and their lateral quickness to kind of stay with Love, to stay with that point guard on, on the switch. I think it'll be close, but at the end of the day, they have LeBron James, and if they want to win this game, they will win this game. Yeah. They are fourteen and they are fourteen and four at home. So after a couple fuck ups, you know they are kind of taking shit a little bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. After those but, few whoopsie um, daisies, I mean, I mean, and we're talking about a hiccup. They had one tonight in Sacramento. They they, they got handled by the Kings, one hundred nine ninety five, and so. That might have been the Cavaliers. I don't give a shit game of the week, and Portland missed that opportunity. <laughs> I I just think it's it's too much to ask of Portland to to win in Cleveland. I know we've had our way with them in Portland the past couple of years, and I'll definitely take that win any day of the week. But um, we're good on the road, but I don't know if we're that good. I got Cavs winning that one. What do you say? Wow, they actually did lose to the Kings. Holy shit. Well, I'm looking at the score right now. Why would I tell you anything else? I don't know. I didn't believe you. Uh, 99 episodes and this man doesn't believe me over a fucking box score from December 27th, 2017. <laughs> let's not, let's not, <laughs> let's, let's not fight over little shit now. We've got a hundred more to, hundred more to do, so, um, I think we lose. I mean, LeBron James can... It's LeBron James, man. I, I don't like betting against the best player of the generation. You've got a, a three in one week, and I've got two and two? Yeah. All right. Well, let's see how, how that does. But, you know, this is almost our 100th episode. Thank you to all of our listeners who have been rocking with us since day one. You know, we love our, each and every one of you guys, whether you listen to us since episode one or since episode 98. Or even if this is your first, but you know, definitely subscribe to the podcast. You can find us at Holy Backboard uh, PDX on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Uh, leave us a five star rating uh, if you want to hit us up on social. Ask us some questions. Uh, follow the content you can at Holy Backboard on Facebook, Twitter, and the Gram. Sage, any final words? So um, this week I actually will do the uh, uh, a lasers centric stream on uh mixer i said i was gonna do it last week but i forgot that family's coming into town and they like to ruin your plans so i'm gonna be uh streaming i think thursday or friday uh what i would do for the blazers uh off season and then play some games with the blazers my my blazers and then uh yeah tune in to episode 100 I know the 2K uh, corner was kind of light because family was in town, but I, I I got some stories to tell. Uh, what do you, what do you want to do for our hundredth? Do you want to talk about the week that was for the Trailblazers? Do you want to just goof around? What what do you want to do? I think we let the Blazers dictate that with their play. It, it depends. I think we'll definitely have a special what? guest for for you guys. But um, are we going like to talk about the Pelicans game? Are we previewing the Pelican game on our 100th episode? We may or we may not. (laughs) That doesn't answer my question, but okay. I closed down all my tabs, Sage. As soon as I went into my my (laughs) spiel about where you can find that... uh, Where you can find the content? Yeah, I was just... Fuck you! (laughs) Uh, Oh. I think we're talking about New Orleans on the 100th episode. That's we cool. Might just, 
We might just skip over that. <laughs> but we do. You have one of the OG episodes that you found lost. Oh, yeah. So we'll be releasing pretty soon. Yeah. So for all of you holy backboard heads that want to hear what I sounded like when I was 21. And so for those that don't know, uh, I was not an original holy backboard OG. It was uh, uh, Dustin and his homeboy. Uh, shit. Matt. And uh, for one of their podcasts in 2012, for, well, for two of them. I happen to be the board op for it, so you'll hear me butt in a few times, but you get to hear Dustin call, like, 12 perfect draft picks. Like, he says a few names that are like, how the fuck did you know that type of calls? So, it, it, it it's really good, and it it's actually two hours of Holy Backboard content, and I think you hear me a few times. I think there's some stuff I have to take out, but... It's actually a fun show, and I think some some of our fans are going to fall in love with Shalmar Clark, who was on it. That that was my that was my first ever uh, sports radio co-host. So it's it's a fun trip down memory lane, and then you get to see how how hard body Dustin studied for the drafts when when he worked with the Blazers. And. I'm going to let you just wrap it up at that because my computer is at 6%. It's telling me <laughs> it's time to shut it down. Uh, shut it thank down. you, Sage, again. I mean, 99 episodes. You are the best co-host I could ask for. Cannot wait to watch these upcoming slated games. And and please, Trailblazers, just win one at home. Th- that's really all we're asking for.
Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!